do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's a short reading for us. Uh, but, there, but there's a lot of power in it. Of course, there's a lot of power in every word that's found in God's Word. But this one, in particular, has struck me as, as something that uh, is necessary for all of us as, as we pass through this life and try to be the best type of a individual we can be, to be a believer and to be a child of God. Fear not, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That term, fear not, is easily spoken. But it's not, uh, it's not advice that's easily taken. What he's talking now, I don't think he's talking about a terror or an um, anxiety that, that uh, comes about because you're afraid you're going to lose your life or you're going to lose a member of your body or something, you're going to have some sort of extreme medical problem. But it, it's actually talking about to uh, not be concerned, not be overly anxious about something that's about to happen in your life. Um, let me see if I can illustrate, illustrate it this way. Now what he's telling them basically, and, and you can see it in the next few verses, he says, sell what you have and give alms. Now that would be disturbing to an individual. Sell what you have and give it away. Now that would provide a little bit of anxiety. If I sell what I have and give it away, how am I going to take care of my everyday needs? What's going to happen? And then he said, if you'll do that, he said, uh, make... Make bags for yourself. Provide bags for yourself that wax not old, a treasure in the heaven that uh, no thief approaches and moth doesn't corrupt. He said, because where your treasure is, there's your heart also. So he's saying, don't fear. Don't, don't get excited. Don't panic. Uh, don't feel like your whole world is going to collapse. He's telling them to... to uh, Take courage. Now, let me, let me see if I can get us in the right frame of mind before I begin to tell you some of the stories in the New Testament about it. When I was small, a little guy, there was times in my life when I was going to do something, undertake something that gave me a little bit of concern. As a matter of fact, it gave me a lot of concern. For instance, if I was going to ride a bicycle, and I didn't know how to ride a bicycle, and as I got started on my bicycle, I was afraid I was going to hurt myself, fall over, do something. And yet someone was there holding it for me and, and guiding me along and saying, don't be afraid, calm down, relax, I've got you. Isn't that what he said? When you're trying to... That's what I said to my kids as well. And sometimes, I remember one time I was swimming in a swimming pool. Now, these are just personal 
events that happened to me. And you can probably think of some yourself. I want you to think of something like this where you felt an anxiety rising in you that could not be, could not be tamped down unless someone was there to provide the relief or the calmness that you needed. Anyway, we were in a pool. And two or three of boys, and we were about, oh, I, I would say seven or eight years old. And we were swimming. We had gotten into the deep end. The, the uh, lifeguard was, wasn't paying attention, apparently. And we had gotten to the deep end of the pool where there was a ladder. And we would let ourselves down. We were cousins, by the way. I had three cousins in Amarillo, Texas. We were cousins when we were in this pool. And our oldest cousin was standing up above us. He wasn't any bigger than we were, but he was older. And he was standing up by the ladder, and we were down in the water, and we were trying to push away a little ways and then get back, but not get too far away because we couldn't touch the bottom. So there we were. Well, we, you know what happened. We pushed too far away. We couldn't get back. And my cousin, was on the, another cousin, was standing up, up above us. He said, I'll save you, and he jumped in on top of us. He couldn't swim either. <laughs> well, that wasn't much comfort to us. Somebody came along and got us out. I think it was a lifeguard or someone who knew how to swim. He got three of us out of the water. Well, the idea is when you, when you take someone like a child, and I took my own children out to teach them how to swim, we put them in the pool. I was standing by them and said, now don't be afraid. Well, you know they were afraid. They were terrified. Don't be afraid. Daddy's here. Okay. So you see what I'm saying? I'm saying you cannot be afraid. You can be calmed down. It doesn't do any good to tell someone, calm down. Don't calm down. It doesn't, doesn't do any good unless you're there to help them overcome the obstacle that's there that's creating the fear, right? There has to be someone there or something there that will assuage your fear or your anxiety. Okay. Jesus said to these men, don't be afraid, give all your stuff away. Wow. Can you imagine the anxiety that had to come up in their hearts? Oh yeah, just give it all away. Okay, but Jesus was there. So he had that calming influence on them. In the New Testament, this term fear, or fear not, arises several times. I've I've been studying it. It arises several times, most of the time in the book of Luke. But it arises several times in certain situations where really, when a person says fear not, they have to provide something for the person that's involved in the fear, the person who's whose anxiety is at, at a dangerous high level, they have to be, be there to help them because it wouldn't do any good just to say, don't be afraid. Ah, it wouldn't do any good. Okay, let's look at some of these illustrations. When Joseph was getting ready to marry his wife Mary, they were engaged and she was pregnant. Now, this man had to be full of anxiety. What, what am I going to do? 
And an angel came to him while he was thinking about this in Matthew chapter 1 verse 20. And he appeared unto the Lord, it says, the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, you son of David, relax. Fear not, he said. Fear not. Here was someone who had the ability to take away his concern. Because he was over, I'm, I'm sure he was concerned. I'm sure he was almost out of his mind knowing what to do. Because in that day and age, and even in the times before our time, this business of having a child out of wedlock was something terrible. But, but he said, Fear not, take unto you Mary your wife, for that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit. Fear not. When the, when the angel Gabriel came to Mary, and of course Mary had to be as concerned, or even more so than Joseph was concerned, about what was happening to her, Luke chapter 1 at verse 30, Gabriel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So they were told not to fear because someone's there to help them overcome their anxiety. And then when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, another illustration along this line of fear not, someone saying, Don't be afraid. And if you're going to tell someone that, you're going to have to provide for them the reason why they shouldn't be afraid. You have to provide the support they need to overcome their fear, their anxiety. If you're going to, if you're going to teach someone how to swim, you better know how to swim. If you're going to help someone out of an aircraft at 10,000 feet, you better have on a parachute and some experience or you're not going to overcome their fear. If you're going to show someone how to ride a bicycle or get on a horse, ride a horse, you have to provide the comfort they need and the security they need for them to overcome their anxiety in doing something they've never done before in their life. Okay? The shepherds were in the field. Remember? Luke chapter 2. And the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. Well, the previous verse says that there was a bright cloud that shone around them. It was, a, it was the glory of the Lord. All of a sudden, here these fellows were out in the, in the field, away from town, away from all the lights, and a great light shone round about them, the glory of the Lord, and it had to stun them. And, and the angel said unto them, Fear not. Don't be afraid. Relax. Calm down. He said, because I bring you good tidings. They may have been afraid that they were going to get some bad news with the light, with the glory of the Lord. It just, they didn't know what to think. But then the angel said, fear not. I bring you good tidings of great joy that will be, all to, that will be to all the people. And then there was the occasion. I'm just going to give you some occasion in the New Testament where the term fear not is found. There was the occasion... When uh, Jesus came upon some fishermen, Peter and John, uh, Peter and Andrew, and James and John were close by. But he, he told them to go fishing. Let's go fishing again. They, and Peter said, we've been fishing all night. And we came up empty. There's nothing there. But nevertheless, at your bidding, we'll go. So they did. They got in the boat. Peter, Peter and Andrew got in the boat with Jesus, and they cast out 
a ways. And they let, he said, let down your net. These men had just been cleaning their nets. They'd just been fishing all night. They were worn out. They were, their nerves were probably jangled. And yet they said, according to your will, we'll do it. And they let down their nets, and they got a great draft of fishes, so, so much so that they couldn't get into their boat. So they signaled to James and John, who were close by, partners in their fishing business. They came close by, and they were filling both boats up, and they began to sink. And Peter fell on his knees and said, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. And then it says he was astonished, Peter, all that were with him at the draft of fishes which they had taken. And so also was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners of Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not. Their boat was being overwhelmed. It was sinking. The fish. And all of a sudden Jesus said, Fear not. Don't be afraid. Here was someone who could handle the situation and took them to shore, obviously, took them to shore. And he said, fear not, from henceforth you'll catch men. Forget about these fish. But besides that, when Jesus was passing through a small village and he was on the way to help a man by the name of Jairus, whose daughter was sick unto death, in, in Luke chapter 8, verse 49 and 50, it says, While he yet spoke, there came one from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, talking to Jairus, because Jairus is asking Jesus to help him. He said, Your daughter's dead. Don't trouble the master. What awful news this man had. Too late. Too little and too late. And Jesus heard it. He said, Fear not. Believe only, and she shall be made whole. Here was a man who could tell Jairus, whose daughter had just died, don't be afraid. Fear not. He had the solution. In Matthew chapter 17, Jesus had taken Peter, James, and John up on a high mountain. And he was transfigured in front of them. You remember? And Peter and the other two had gone to sleep. When they woke up, they saw Jesus speaking with, with the Moses and Elijah. And he said, uh, while he spoke, verse 49, there came one from the ruler, oh, pardon me, while he spoke, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice out of the cloud, which said, now, you have to think about this idea of a bright cloud. If there's a bright cloud on a mountain, it's because there's a lot of electricity in it. Clouds get bright when they get electrified. So here was a bright cloud, a light cloud, and Peter, Andrew, and, and uh, John woke up and saw that, and, and it, had to, it had to startle them, had to frighten them, and they saw this vision of Jesus speaking, and, and in addition to that, there was a loud voice that came out of the cloud, and that loud voice said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye Him. When the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. It just terrified them. How do you overcome that anxiety, that fear? Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and don't be afraid. Here was the one who could keep them from fear again. Okay. It's not enough just to say, relax, 
He, someone had to be there to assuage that fear. Somebody had to be there. Someone strong enough to overcome their fear had to be there. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12 that if they were going to follow him, they were going to be persecuted. So he said unto you, my friends, he said, don't be afraid of them that kill the body, and after that they have no more that they can do. Don't be afraid of them. Now that's easy to say. It's easy to speak. The only thing that they had in their favor to keep them from actually collapsing with fear over the idea that somebody's going to get after us and someone's going to damage us personally was Jesus telling them, don't be afraid. He was the one who could help them overcome their concern. He said, but I'll tell you what, I'll forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he has killed you has the power to cast you into hell. I say unto you, fear him. Are there not five sparrows sold for two farthings, farthings and not one of them is forgotten before the Lord? Now he's not saying to fear God. He's saying to, he's, he's saying to fear the one who can send you into hell, which would be the person that you would, you would succumb to with your fear. The person that you'd say, well, I'll follow you if you won't hurt me. He's saying, take your stand. That's what he's telling him to do. And so, when Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem in John chapter 12, the week before his death, he was brought into the city of Jerusalem with a crowd of people, with a crowd of admirers. And it says, it says on the next day, much people were come to the feast. They heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. They took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel that comes in the name of the Lord. And when Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon as it is written. He, got on, he didn't get on a full-grown donkey or a mule. It wasn't actually a mule, it would be a donkey. He got on the, to the foal, to the, to the colt. And there he went into the city of Jerusalem riding on a small, harmless animal. The question would be, in the minds of those that were bringing him, where are the trumpets? Where is the parade? Where are the soldiers? Where are the multitudes that would carry him on their shoulders in and crown him king? And here he is sitting on a small animal. And you know what he said? He said, fear not. He said, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your, come, your king comes sitting on an ass's colt. He said, don't fear. Don't worry about that. One other along this line. Matthew chapter 28, the first five verses. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, this is after the resurrection of Jesus, after his death on the cross, and that is resurrection. It says, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as light. And what impact did that have upon these people? It said, for fear of him, the keepers, that is the guards, did quake and became as dead men. They fainted. They passed out. And the angel answered and said unto the women, 
fear not. <laughs> fear not. Well, they had, they had the ability to give comfort to these women and tell them what was going on. They said, I know, we, know, I, I, we know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. We know that. He's risen. Okay. There's a human tendency to have that adrenaline rush. We know that there is. It's common for us to feel uneasy and anxious over our immediate prospects. And it is seldom relieved when someone simply comes up and pats us on the back and says, Relax. Calm down. Don't worry. You, uh, you have to have more assurance in that in order to overcome that problem, in order to come, overcome the anxiety. Now, I'm going to give you two illustrations of why, what I think. And I've just read the illustrations from the New Testament to show that uh, there are instances where, where we actually fall into this pitfall of fear anxiety when when we're told something or when we know something and when we something comes upon us uh, it, it bothers us and we get to the point that we really don't know how to resolve it and yet God tells us fear not relax it, it'll be all right and he's the only one that can tell us that the first thing I want to mention to you is that that sometimes in our lives if we're human beings and we are that we, we mess up. We sin. All of sin comes short of the glory of God. And not just sin, but we mess up our lives so badly that it appears that there's nothing that can be done to rectify that mistake. There's just nothing that we could do that would get past it. It's, it's been done. We cross the line, and we can't go back across that line. How do you fix that? We worry about it. We're concerned about it. And it is possible. And I, we need to understand this. I understand it. We need to understand it. It's possible that relationships between family or friends can be so severely damaged that there is no feasible way to recover what was lost. You just do it. And there's no going back. You can't get over it. You can't get it done. You can't undo it. You can't unwind it. You can't play it back. It's not like a VCR or a CD that you can repeat it and repeat it and go back over it and maybe change it. What's done is done. Sometimes time will heal the harm that we cause, but not always. It doesn't always happen. Some of these damages and wounds that we inflict on others will linger and trail us into eternity. Never quit. And we sorely need someone to step up and say, don't worry. It will be all right. And we yearn for the offended party if we've offended someone, hurt someone, family, friends, whatever. We yearn for them to say, all is forgiven. That doesn't always happen. Doesn't always happen. It, uh, it happens or should happen if we are fellow Christians, it should happen that uh, that forgiveness is forthcoming. Now, I'm telling you this, that there are people and things in your life where harm that you've inflicted that will never, 
be forgiven by that person you harmed. Never will. Just there. Now, if, if a person is in compliance with God, in fellowship with God, they will forgive you. As a matter of fact, Matthew 6, verse 14, 15 says, If you forgive men their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. If you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So we can look to a Christian with hope that when we harm them in that fashion, that they will alleviate our guilt, that they will forgive us. But this doesn't always happen. We can't force someone to look upon us with compassion and return us to good standing in their sights. We, we can't expect that. That's up to them. So what do we do if it doesn't happen? That's when God says, fear not. I will forgive you. And if we confess our sins, the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's forgiveness through Jesus sweeps over us. We are relieved. The dangerous past, the future secure, and someone has stepped up who has the ability to relieve us of that anxiety, of that fear. That's God. He can do that. Not as though we shouldn't care about how others feel about us, but in the final analysis, it's far more important that God feels forgiveness toward us. If we can never give it from another human being on this earth, God can give us the forgiveness that we seek. The forgiveness of God frees us from our past. That's number one. Number two, the next thing I want to talk to you about is that that sometimes we need reassurance in our own lives that we are worthy of God's forgiveness and His love. That's not easy to acquire. We're constantly reminded, even when you read the Bible, you're constantly reminded that you're a sinner, that you sin, that you're not worthy of God, you're not worthy of God's grace, and this often carries us into a sense of doubting whether or not we'll be accepted of God when we stand before Him trying to gain access to heaven. The big question is, will I be good enough for God to let me into heaven with Him? It's a given that we all stumble, we all sin. We are told not to depend upon our own righteousness. Isaiah says our righteousness is as filthy rags. So we can't depend upon ourselves. We say things we ought not to say. And by the way, we're judged by our words. And we can't take our words back, although we try to. We say something that we shouldn't say. We think we can take them back. But the person we say them to will probably never forget them. <laughs> and the older you get, the more you realize that. That if you say something that you didn't intend to say, and you harm someone, hurt them, they in all likelihood will never forget that. Never. So you begin to wonder about it. You begin to think, well, what have I done? What have I said? What kind of person am I? How can I ever expect to be able to stand before God and be accepted by Him in heaven? Well, we, we, uh, 
we also have illustrations, examples of people in the New Testament. That kind of helps us. Okay. I just want to start this way. Peter messed up when he was at Antioch. Peter the Apostle messed up. He went to Antioch and he, he, uh, he was prejudiced. He was, he was biased. And uh, he, when he went to Antioch, he separated himself uh, from the Gentiles and wouldn't eat with them. And when Paul got there, he said, I, I confronted Peter when he came to Antioch. I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Peter actually uh, practiced uh, dissemination. He practiced prejudice. He was biased. And so when Paul got there, he, he told Peter what had happened to him. Well, we know that Peter changed. That he, he made his changes. But he still did something wrong. John Mark went with Paul and Barnabas when they first went to preach. When they got to Antioch, things got tough. John Mark lost his courage and went home. But later on, Paul, when writing about this, he, John Mark just left them in the lurch and, and went back. And uh, later on, it, we find that John Mark changed his whole life because in 2 Timothy 4, verse 11, Paul was talking to Timothy, Timothy and he said, Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with you for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Something happened. John Mark made a change in his life. Now it's possible to do something wrong and then change. Okay? Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, he said, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. So it's easy to become discouraged and in the face of adversity, and do something that's wrong. It's even easier to, to get weak and, and give in to temptation. But we can come back. We, if we become discouraged with ourselves, we doubt our willingness to walk with the Lord, we feel like we're taking one step forward and falling two steps back, still we can overcome. We can do better. It, we, we, we can, and it's not good enough for us to say, I can't because I'm not good enough, because God will help us, and He'll help us overcome. That's when God says, when we feel discouraged, and when we can't get it together, that's when God says, fear not. Fear not. I'm there. I'm, I'm here with you to help. The reason He can say that is because Christ is in you. He's walking in you and working in you. Galatians 2.20 says, I'm crucified with Christ. This is Paul. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So, as long as Jesus is with us, there's the strong arm that we need. There's the help that we need. That's when God says, don't fear because I am near. I'm here. I'm here to help. 1 John 2, at verse 1, 1 and 2, John says, My little children, these things I write unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He said, Don't sin, but if you do, you've got some help. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Okay, the point is, 
I'm not saying, <clears throat> I'm not talking to anybody that doesn't know that we have forgiveness. I'm talking to people that sometimes feel as if you're not going to be worthy enough to get to heaven because you're not doing enough. You're not good enough. Okay. Now, I've got a, I've got a parable I want to read for you. And as I read it, you might want to open your Bible and read it too. It's in Matthew chapter 25. It's some, something you may not have thought about before. It's kind of a long parable, verse 14 through 30. I want to read it, then I want to make some comments about it along this line that we're talking about. In that parable, Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven, beginning verse 14, is like a man traveling to a far country. He called his servants and delivered unto them his goods. Unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Okay. He took his goods and, and distributed, the, distributed them. Five talents to one, two talents to another, and one to another. Went to a journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. So he doubled his five talents. Likewise, he that received two, he gained other two. He that received one went and digged on the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of these servants came and reckoned with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought uh, his other five talents, saying, Lord, you have delivered unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside thee five talents more. Now he's talking about money. He's talking about goods. He's not, not talking about abilities. Okay. His Lord said unto him, Well done, you good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also that had received the two talents came and said unto him, Lord, you delivered me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. He said unto them, He said unto him, Well, good, well, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I know that you are a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the earth. Lo, there you have what's yours. His Lord answered and said unto him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I sow not, and I gather where I have not strawed. You ought to have put my money to the exchangers. Then at my coming, I should have received mine own with interest. Take therefore the talent from him and give it to them that has ten talents. For unto everyone that has shall be given. He shall have abundance. But from him that has not shall be taken even that which he had. And cast the unprofitable servant into the darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oh, okay. Now listen to what he said. Here was one guy that had five, five talents, whatever it was, gold, silver, goods, and he doubled them. Here's one that had two, and he doubled them. And so he was, 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 uh, he was praised. They were both praised. But here was a guy that just took what God gave him and buried it. He said, I was afraid. I was afraid because I knew you were a hard man. And you reap where you don't sow, and you gather where you haven't strawed, and so forth. What is the point? And then he, you look what he told him. He said, you should have taken that money and given it to those who would have given you interest on that money. He provided him a way that he could have used his talent. He told him, 
this is what you could have done. I wouldn't have expected any more. What he's saying is, you need to take what you have and do what you can with what I give you. I'm not expecting any more than that. Eureka! So now you're standing before God in the day of judgment, and you're saying, Lord, I did, I did the best I could. I didn't do a whole lot, but I did the, I, I took what you gave me, and I, I did the best I could with it. And he knows that. He's not expecting you to double your talents, triple your talents, quadruple your talents. He's saying all you have to do is just do what you can with what you have. Fear not, he said. Do what you can and God will make it work for you. He'll make it work. I'm, I'm going to end this lesson this morning, give it to you with these words. Fear not, little flock. For it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom of heaven. Let's stand and sing the song of invitation.